Welcome to the 17th episode of Relating to DevSecOps, where we jump into the development, security, and operational issues of today with representation from different disciplines, professions, and specialties so we can solve real-world problems with people that face them on the ground and in the trenches. I'm Ken Toller, and I'm joined by Jameson Colburn so that we can dive into another series about chaos engineering. Simon is moving this week, so he's uh, he's not joining us. But he'll be back to give his opinion, I think, on the next episode um, as we get back into it. Um, but yeah, chaos engineering is our topic for today. Whether it's something to consider, just a general pipe dream, or an unattainable goal to achieve in your organization, uh, how it relates to DevSecOps, and um, and how Jameson and I have seen it in our day-to-day or in our conversations with clients or colleagues. And I'll turn it over to Jameson in a second here, but... First, I just want to come out and thank all of our listeners for being patient with us this episode. We are and were in the midst of holidays and elections and lockdowns and just general life, but we're back at it today. So um, so thanks for hopping back in to listen. If you like what you're hearing, please take a couple of seconds to review or comment or engage with us in, in uh, whatever your preferred platform is so that we can bring you what you want to hear you know, from the trenches of work that we we perform day to day so we can, you know, talk to what you all want to listen to. Uh, so, Jameson, welcome back, man. Uh, how are things in the midst of chaos engineering? Uh, you know, you brought this topic up a while ago and I we've been tossing it around offline a bit, but here we are. So from from your perspective, you know, what interests you about it? Uh, how do you think it can work? Is it a possible goal? Um or do you just want to open up with just, uh, you know, getting back into the groove? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've talked about this for a while because there's a lot of aspects here that, you know, stripes across Dev, DevOps, security, uh, product engineering. And really, you know, there's a lot to unpack here. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions around what chaos engineering is. And so, you know, and, and I think the big point for us is, you know, how do we relate this back to security in the spirit of the podcast? And so, you know, after some offline discussion and, and kind of some discussion of the pre-show, I think, you know, we have a lot of uh, a lot of ground to cover and a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. So, um, I mean, really kind of to start it off, I guess, um, could probably give an overview of, of what chaos engineering is for folks that aren't familiar yeah. Um, but I mean, really, it, it's kind of, I mean, I'll just read the Wikipedia definition, right? <laughs> That's going to be the easiest. Um, but, you know, according to Wikipedia, uh, it's the discipline of experimenting on software systems in production in order to build confidence in the system's capabilities to withstand turbulent and unexpected conditions, right? And, you know, this all kind of comes back to uh, Netflix moving to the cloud. I mean, folks may may not remember Chaos Monkey and all that wonderful stuff from way it was like 2011, 2012. And, you know, the idea really is like, this comes back to what uh, uh, Werner Vogel said in the early days of AWS is everything fails all the time, right? And so when Netflix was moving to the cloud, they decided, hey, it would be great if as part of our SDLC process, you know, uh, we would we could test these things and rather than assume everything's always, you know, peachy and rosy in production in the cloud, like, you know, stuff might fail. So how do, how do our systems react to that? And how does, you know, what does that look like? And, you know, how, how can we account for that? And so, you know, historically, uh, in a lot of developers, you know, they look for ideal conditions. They don't really think about infrastructure. They kind of build tools in a vacuum and build APIs and all that in a vacuum. And so this is the idea that, hey, Maybe the systems my stuff is running on aren't necessarily stable, and how do I test for that, right? Um, and so, yeah, so I mean, the Chaos Monkey, I think that was 2011, 2012-ish, and it's kind of evolved from there to now where there's lots of vendors that are offering commercial solutions for chaos engineering. And I think even chaos engineering itself has become a little bit more well-defined where, you know, Netflix originally was just failing infrastructure and production, just, you know, killing EC2 instances and seeing what happens. and. Um, it's now kind of turned into a more scientific discipline around, you know, actually, actually maybe uh, more intelligently thinking through these things and de- developing hypotheses and all that, and, and kind of turned into more following more of a scientific method than necessarily just pure chaos. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you that my first introduction to it was definitely Chaos Monkey. And, uh, you know, when you talk about chaos engineering, it's like cue your favorite metal band, right? So it's, um, 
I just I kind of feel like that's the the background music, right? It's just like take out everything, and 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 so when you initially hear it, especially if you talk about Chaos Monkey and just failing things, I think that the barrier to entry seems very high. You know, it's like man, if I took something, if I took a server down in my production um, workload that would not go over well, you know? I mean, you just know, you don't have to, you don't need chaos monkey to tell you that it's going to be a bad day. So it's like, when, when does this become something that you want to consider bringing into your world and, and how do you do it? Where, where do you start? And, um, if you, yeah, do you have any insight into that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it, it does seem like unobtainable, especially certain verticals, certain industries, right? Um, it almost seems like, why would you ever do that, right? Like this, why would you break things intentionally? And, um, you know, there's a lot to learn from that. And I would say, well, Netflix, obviously their goal was to start in production because that's where their biggest workload is um, or is and was um, at the time. I think that it's achievable in other environments, right? Like you can have like, so, you know, historically uh, a lot of companies have like a load testing environment, right? Where like you may run JMeter, whatever your load testing tools are to kind of understand how do my how do my applications perform under load? But like load is not the only thing that you need to account for in the cloud at this point, right? Like you got to account for, um, you know, server failures, network failures. And I mean, I guess you always had to account for these in the data center, but it wasn't as, it was like closer to your company, right? So your company is like, if you had a network failure, you'd reach out to your network team. If you had like a hardware failure, like a server failure, you'd reach out to like your data center ops team or whatever, right? And so all these things felt so close to you that it was like, oh, do I really need to account for these? Because if that happens, like the whole company's gonna, you know, rally together and get on a bridge and, you know, it's like, uh, it's a big deal. Whereas, you know, right. in the cloud, these things just happen. Like, you know, like an EC2 instance might just go into a degraded state and, um, you know, Amazon's going to send you an email and say, hey, that EC2 instance no longer in a good state. Um, but you're not going to have that much insight into it. Right. And, it, and it's very much like a reactionary thing. Um, and so since that can happen at random and it's going to happen, it's a fact of life at this point of living in the cloud. Um, it, it's kind of like the looking at how do I approach that? And, you know, with chaos engineering, like what, how do my applications react? So the first thing to do is like, hey, maybe you do this in your test in your load testing environment, like I said, and and then maybe over time you graduate to doing it into production. But it is very useful intel to know when there's an issue, how are your systems going to behave? Because you know, quirky things can happen when things fail, and like the the, the it's if you know those things ahead of time, when it actually happens for real um, in production, you're in a better state because. If it's something, if you know something's going to cause uh, data corruption or data loss, right? Like obviously that's a really bad thing. And if you know that um, that's a potential outcome of a failure, well, then you're going to want to re-architect your application to account for that, right? And so it's like that's kind of the value here is of uh, simulating failure. You're able to learn the actual outcome of um, you know, of that failure and then re-architect appropriately to, to account for it so that you don't ever, like the first time you're finding out that, Hey, we have data loss is not in production. Right. I mean, so this, this sort of goes back to the maturity question though, right? Because you're, you're saying, um, you know, you can figure this all out in, in sort of a testing environment or a staging environment, and you want to know if there's data loss or not. And, I think that sort of begs the question, at what level of maturity in your engineering process do you, is the first time that you might be able to introduce something like chaos engineering? Because I've, I've run into clients that don't have a staging environment, right? Or don't have a testing environment. Um, and I, and I, I mean, still to this day in 2020, you know, we, we've got some organizations that will just deploy to production. And I know that that sounds crazy, but that, I mean, th that exists, whether it's a startup that's just like, you know, four people cranking it out and they feel like, you know, anything that they're going to deal with is going to be, um, you know, something that they can talk through in a room or over Skype or over Zoom or whatever your preferred remote working capability is these days. Um, or they might just not uh, care enough uh, to have a staging environment or testing environment for, you know, every component of their organization. Or more commonly, they're in this like weird state where their staging environment isn't really a mirror of production, which I feel like is a, a huge swath of um, of organizations where it's like, yeah, 
it works this way in staging, but in prod, it's completely different, right? Because we take much more care or we, we take better care or what you could consider better care of our prod environment. And our testing environment is sort of like, there's a couple of extra middleware steps that need to happen to go for, to graduate from like staging or testing to prod. So in your opinion, I guess, where do you have to be as an organization to introduce chaos engineering into your, is it, I guess, would, would it be a testing pipeline? Like where, where are we putting this? Where are we categorizing chaos engineering? Yeah, I would say there is like a certain amount of maturity that is needed in an organization to um, to really start looking at these things. And it's more, I would say it's less of like, hey, you need to be X number of employees or, you know, you need to have X number of environments. And it's more of just like a your operational folks, your development folks really just need to be to a place where um, like they can engage in this, they can process this, right? If you're like strapped for time all the time and you're not really um, able to focus on anything else. You're just constantly putting out fires. Maybe that's a good time to start, but probably not, right? You're not going to have time to really um, like dig into it because kind of the, I'd say the requirements for chaos engineering uh, is more around like the maturity of your monitoring tools and and kind of that that sort of thing. Because the big thing is when you induce failure in in a certain way, right? You're going to want to be able to know that that happened, right? Like it. Um, I know, um, like the, the kind of the approach that folks talk about in chaos engineering, right. Is that like you form a hypothesis, you draft your experiment of how you're going to test that hypothesis. You launch that experiment, you observe, you react, and then you retrospect. Right. And so in the retrospect, you're looking at, Hey, did what I hypothesized match what actually happened, right? And if it didn't, well, then you learned something, right? And if it did, um, like, and your hypothesis was that everything's going to be fine, well, great job. Your hypothesis was everything's going to be really bad. Well, then at least you learned what will go bad. And um, and so then, like, you know, really, I would say the, the tool here is, like, if you do if you do an experiment and it turns out everything was fine, right, that's great. Your application is well-architected, Right if it turns out that your hypothesis was completely off, like that's even better in a lot of ways because you learned something, right? So yeah. I would say like that, the the maturity here is more around like knowledge of your application and like, you know, it, this will help mature that knowledge as well, but also it's more just around the monitoring of things of like, and also again, like if you induce a failure and you don't catch it in monitoring, well, then you learn that you're, you have gaps in monitoring. So I don't think there's a requirement for like a certain size of organization as much as like, it's like you need to have a certain maturity in um, in kind of just like your operational practices. Now that makes sense, and I think that um, you know as you're as you were speaking, like a bunch of ideas flowed through my head. And the first thing that I would say is, uh, it almost seems like you either you want to have like two viewpoints, and you tell me if I'm going crazy here, but it's it's you want to be at a level of maturity where either you think like basically you're bored. Right, you think that everything's going well, and you're like, you know, I I just have this feeling that if I were to test this, then I might not be considering everything, and this might be a good time to introduce chaos engineering. The other uh, the other option um, from a security mindset that came to me as you were speaking is like those conversations that I have with it's not just engineers, but it's ops, it's product engineers, it's product managers, project managers. It's the what if scenarios for security, right? Where I'm saying, you know, I know that it's probably not likely that, that, that this is going to happen, but if a user was able to gain remote code execution on your web application and you're trying to, and, and your web application has sudo privileges to a set of commands, this could happen. And the the common uh, defense to that is, when is that ever going to happen? Like, do you know how many levels of security they'd have to go through in order for that to, to for that to occur? We're going to accept this risk. Like, it's so unlikely. But our unlikely scenarios in security are very much uh, dependent on the controls that are in front of that particular access point or that particular vector. And so we're, we're putting a lot of trust into these things that we may or may not have tested. So to test your defense in depth, you're almost assuming that all of those things are compromised in a worst case scenario. And that if this happens, 
let's test what actually occurs as opposed to assuming what occurs. And I think that that is like, for me, the super powerful thing, because I can say, okay, you know what, I'm going to create an experiment for this and then we'll see what happens. Right. We might assess the risk and be like, okay, it's all good, but I just want to know what happens. So in my next, I don't know how these things get deployed in real life because it's very rare that I see chaos engineering in the wild in my, in my consulting uh, today, but it'd be interesting to see how this plays out to say, all right, I'm just going to create an experiment. Uh, and then I'd launch it in, I don't know, like a chaos engineering testing cycle or something. Maybe we do it every quarter and we have a set of experiments that we run. Right. I think that would be super powerful because you could say as a scenario in security, this is what I want to test. Here are all the things we're going to run. Let's see how the system reacts or, or what happens. And this is very, very similar to what we do in those like uh, red versus blue types of tests. If you're lucky enough to have that type of thing in your organization where you're saying, OK, red team's going to attack, blue team's going to defend. And then we're going to like just sort of work together to try to figure out, uh, you know, what what we missed as a blue team. Uh, versus what we've tested as a red team so that we so the next time this comes around we're able to to defend against the actual attacks right work collaboratively and i think that's where chaos engineering for me as a secure from a security perspective can be super powerful yeah no i definitely agree with all that i would say like from a security perspective i think chaos engineering is still kind of in its infancy right like I haven't seen anyone really doing chaos engineering uh, like from a security perspective, like in the wild. Um, there's been a number of conference talks, like if you search Google, you'll see folks talking about it, but um, like a practical application of that is, is not something I've seen. And I think it's very similar to like what you're, you, you look at like from a pen test perspective of like as part of that pen test, like you're testing your controls that you have in place for security. And, and you know, chaos engineering is, is kind of just like a different flavor of that where you know, now I can, um, I can automate some of that testing, but also, you know, kind of that same methodology of, of uh, hypothesize, draft, you know, test, observe, react, retrospect, right? Like you can look at that and, and, and like basically just take what you've done from like an infrastructure chaos engineering perspective and just like, you know, copy paste that over to security. And it's because it's, the methodology is still valid. It's, it's effectively the scientific method, right? So um, I, I think that, you know, uh, as time goes on, I think you'll see that as more of a trend of of like, how do I test my security controls more rapidly? Because you're not going to like pen test, you know, like daily, weekly. Right. And, and I think for the chaos engineering, the idea here is like, let's accelerate how quickly and how frequently we're in, like, you know, we're doing these experiments because like, frankly, like the longer I wait, you know, between each one of these, it's like there's potentially stuff I'm missing. Whereas if I'm kind of, you know, even testing this stuff monthly, um, I'm probably in, you know, I'm deploying new, new code constantly, right? I, my application behavior is changing um, almost faster than I can test sometimes, but at least if I'm testing at some well-defined or some, you know, rapid frequency, um, I can identify these failures before I actually, you know, have them induced randomly, right? Um, and I think that that's kind of the really powerful thing here is that it allows you to really think through all of these scenarios and then actually execute on them as opposed to just like getting them induced uh, by, you know, your cloud provider, whoever, um, and just having to react to them. The other thing I will say on this is um, I think the really powerful thing is I know a lot of organizations kind of do um, like production incidents, like very poorly, right? It's like very, just kind of like get everyone in a room, let's figure out what's happening. And just like, it's very hectic, it's very frantic and it's not, um, not necessarily well executed. Um, like this type of methodology, like you can game day this and you can pull your groups together and like you can work through this. And so it, it kind of exercises that model of production response um, such that, you know, everyone is more comfortable and you can kind of and even like the retrospect, right? Like that, that after action report, you know, that you do or after incident review, whatever you call it, like it's really no different here when you do your retrospect on a chaos engineering experiment, right? It's, it's almost like the same thing. And so it really exercises that, you know, uh, production incident, uh, production response muscle in a really nice way where like, it's a lower, I would say the stress is lower because you know what's happening, right? Like the organizer has orchestrated this experiment. Um, whether you share that with the ops folks and the devs or not, it's a whole different story, but um, it's like the pressure is lower because you know, hey, if something goes really wrong, I can just flip this off, right? Like say I'm inducing network latency, right? I can just remove the network latency um, like that I'm adding and I'm back to steady state. Maybe my stuff doesn't heal like 100% automatically, but again, you still, you learn something from that. So 
I would say that's another kind of side effect of this is by kind of having more rapid failures and more controlled failures, it really allows you to, um, you know, to kind of um, mature your organization and mature your organizational processes. No, agreed. And, you know, you just triggered another memory for me and you and I had a, had a benefit of going through one of these together, but uh, tabletop exercises, right? If, yep. you, if you have ever uh, worked on a security team that has gone through a tabletop exercise, and for those of you that, that don't know what that is, it's basically where um, you, you get a few folks in a room uh, that know what's going on, but you, you trigger a fake incident for the organization so you can see and test how you're going to react in a real live situation. And that might be like, you know, the CEO um, dies in a plane crash. What do you do? Right. And that, and, and they get notified or, you know, there's a fraud incident and then you trigger all these responses and that might seem mean, but what you're trying to do is in production, see like how people are going to react, what mistakes they're going to make in a high pressure situation. And that's not for every organization, but, uh, it, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough in my career to have gone through a couple of these, uh, and unfortunate enough in my career to have gone through some live scenarios of these. Right. And so you're, you're, you're sort of looking at, um, how are people going to react? What are they going to do? What are your systems going to do if this occurs? And what chaos engineering provides us the opportunity to do is to take that concept a little bit and introduce it to the technical world. Whereas, you know, you might have that sort of happen, but if you've seen like a weekly executed tabletop scenario, sometimes, you know, someone like Jameson is on the other side going, nothing is, nothing has failed. What are you talking about? Right. But if you involve them in the process and are able to take that down uh, and introduce that chaos engineering mindset of how is Jameson's team in DevOps going to react, it makes it much more powerful. Or how is how is the system automatically going to react? Where in the tabletop scenario, you're like, all right, I killed the server. All right. Well, things reacted well and they seem to have spun back up, shunned the server, um, you know, isolated it or whatever. I mean, I think that that is a really good way to introduce it. So if you're an organization that has tabletop exercises, this might be a good spot to say, hey, you know, there's this chaos engineering concept where we can add this experiment to the tabletop exercise and you can work with your, you know, third party or whatever to, to execute one of those. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's a, that's a really good parallel. I actually didn't think about that. The tabletop exercise is almost, it's, it's like the same as a game day more or less just with, um, you know, slightly different flavor, but... Yeah, I mean, and it's again, it's like the same idea of like get people more comfortable with doing these processes and you know really iron out these processes before you need them because like people are going to react unpredictably, people are going to cr crumble under pressure, right? Um, and so like if you can get folks comfortable and you can get your organization like working well in a mock scenario, like when it comes down to it, you're gonna you're gonna work a lot better. Like, I mean, just not to go on a tangent, but like. The one thing that I see a lot in production incidents is like folks just like rambling about stuff unrelated and just like interjecting noise. Like I always say that the worst thing you can do on like a on an incident bridge is like involve um, stakeholders, right? Like you should have two separate bridges for this, right? There should be someone communicating to stakeholders and the folks that are actually working on the issue should be isolated from that just because it's unnecessary noise. And um there's a there's like it's a pretty good I worked aviation for a little while in the aviation industry and, and the thing there is um, the FAA has a sterile cockpit rule, which is basically like during critical junctures of flight, um, like takeoff and landing, for instance, right? Like there is nothing but uh, like operational conversation in the cockpit, right? You only talk about exactly what's happening. And I think that that's a really powerful thing because then it eliminates that distraction and keeps the conversation really geared towards what needs to happen. And like, you know, I think, you know, by practicing this game day type stuff, you can really kind of drill that mindset into people because like, yeah, I get it. Like game day, it's supposed to be fun, right? Like you're supposed to kind of be um, like try to give people a break from the, the monotonous day to day sometimes, but at the same time, like you are testing your processes, you are testing, um, you know, your, your systems, right? And so you should treat it just like you would any production incident. But that's, that's my soapbox tangent. I'm done. No, now. no. I love that. I love that parallel because it is about the efficiency in reacting to these incidents. And to your point, if chaos engineering, if a chaos engineering uh, experiment goes well, there's literally no communication, right? Yeah. And it's so efficient that no one needs to talk to each other. That the the system just recovers, 
So, and it is about that efficiency. So it's like you can graduate to these um, through chaos engineering mindsets or concepts, mindsets, concepts, same thing. Um, <laughs> you you want to you want to like get to it gradually, and I think that just thinking through how this you know what the motivation is behind chaos engineering as opposed to thinking of it as i could never take one of my servers out of production is a way to approach it like you can approach it in staging you can approach it mentally you can approach it as an experiment a thought experiment or whatever um but you know it's it's sort of like if you wanted to take a super soft approach to it you could almost say you know from the security side it's like you know what i understand this probably isn't going to happen but what if, you know, if it did, what would, what would occur, right? Like this is a, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this medium severity, uh, accepted risk thing that I, as a security person, am worried about. If this happens, let's just play it out. What's this look like? And I think that that's a, that's a mindset that you can, you can sort of attach to. The other thing that comes to mind is like zero trust. I think that the, the idea of zero trust right now in security is hot. It's a hot button item. I don't know if it's quite taken over the DevSecOps, um, you know, buzzword yet, but uh, it's it's I think it's getting there, and it's it's the same sort of concept is that like, you know, we're gonna take the approach that we don't trust anything on the network. We don't, you know, we have a single entity and nothing trusts each other. You know, it's a similar approach. It's a thought experiment, and and again, taking something like zero trust and looking at it, you know, from from an organization that's maybe more traditional is a really hard hurdle to overcome and chaos engineering i think is in that same vein yeah no definitely i would say my my, uh, my aside on zero trust is that i know like you've been talking to me about this for i don't know a couple of years now and then all of a sudden this year you know with covid and remote work force and everything right like zero trust has become like the biggest buzzword of 2020 in the security yeah. world, at least from my perspective because every vendor email i get right now is like zero trust zero Alto is telling me zero trust right like um hashicorp release boundary which is all about zero trust right it's it's just like it's 2020 is the year of zero trust um so absolutely <laughs> and it makes sense right and it's like you know and i think we're getting to that um you know, with the chaos engineering and zero trust, I think play very well together. And I think we're getting to that point in 2020 where it's like, you know what, this, this kind of makes sense because it's, you know, the funny, uh, the funny thing that like gets to me here is that the idea of remote work is more prevalent now. And so zero trust is sort of like starting to scratch at brains that maybe didn't think about it seriously enough any, you know, uh, previously, but it's like the the mindset that someone is working from home hasn't changed. Like this has been a thing for years. So if you're thinking about this risk now, it's not like this risk is just 2020. It's been there for years, years and years. That's, uh, you know, from the time you hired your first remote contractor, it's been there. And now we're like, oh, okay, well now we're going to think about it. And uh, same thing with chaos engineering. It's like, I think that, the 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 things that we say oh that's never going to happen you know it it sort of happens to one major retailer or one major cloud provider and now we're like okay well maybe it can happen we're going to start testing for that and i think that both of these concepts are trying to prepare us for you know what could happen you, you know because it's the unlikely thing that does happen to a major retailer so we're trying to sort of tackle this thing before it becomes an actual breach, which I think we all know that we don't know what the next big breach is going to look like, but we do know that it's going to happen. You know, we, we know that in the next couple of years, there's going to be another major breach. And then we're going to be like, oh, we never thought that could happen. And, you know, here we are. So this that's what we're trying to prepare for with this chaos engineering thing is like anything that you think could happen, let's just test it. Let's just figure it out, see what happens. And that way we're prepared for it. Yeah. I mean, it's testing for uncertainty, right? And like the zero trust is like the great parallel there because it's like you're accounting for uncertainty or unknowns in your network, right? That you you just, you know, so if you can account for your, if you can test for those things and work through that, it's like it puts you in a lot better position. Um, but yeah, the, the last thing I'll say on zero trust is like, it's similar to your point, right? It's, it's like, 
how long has IPsec been a thing, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, um, so it's not, remote work is not new, um, but I, I get with more employees doing it, it's a bigger surface area. You yeah. Need, but yeah, it's kind of a funny mentality that we're in 2020, we're just starting to think about, wait, these people connecting to my VPN, they might not be up to to just good. They might not be just doing their job. We, we should maybe look take a, take a second look at them and, and structure them differently. I mean, it's literally like if somebody two years ago came came to you and said, hey, look, um, I know that we're all in the office 100% of the time. Most people are operating out of like a, you know, a, a skiff-like room for, for this organization. Uh, but let's just say like a global pandemic hit and uh, everyone had to work remotely. Like, what would we do? What would that look like? And two years ago, you'd be like, are you crazy? Like, what world are you living in that that's ever going to happen? And now 2020, here we are. So it's, it's, you know, it, you kind of have to take those with a grain of salt and be like, all right, you know, that sounds crazy right now, but let's, let's give it a thought experiment. Let's work through it. Let's see what would happen and, uh, and let it play out and see what happens. I mean, just to bring it back, right? Like, I think chaos engineering, you know, like is, is is a good example too, because like if I told the developer 10 years ago, hey, by the way, your network latency within your data center, like between your applications may just spike at random. Like you may just have a huge network spike between your applications or between your application and your database. They would be like, why? Why? <laughs> Something went wrong. Why would I account for that? Right. That's that's an infrastructure problem, right? Um, and and they would just laugh at you. They wouldn't. They're not going to do anything in the application to account for that, right? But now in the cloud, you're like, well, we we can't tell Amazon. Or we can't tell cloud provider not to do that, right? We can't tell them, hey, don't put any latency between our database and our application servers or our containers or whatever you're running. Um, and and so now it's like the onus is back on the software engineer to say, hey, yeah. Like I need to account for these things because they're unpredictable, right? Like I can't just go yell at my infrastructure team and tell them, don't do that. No more latency. Um, right, and right, so it's, right, it's right. like, again, it's the same thing where it's like you just flash forward and, and you know, now everyone's working or a lot of companies are working out of the cloud and um, the responsibilities have shifted. And so now it's like these are things, these are what were just purely infrastructure concerns and maybe should have been application concerns as well are now kind of squarely back on um, or squarely on developers where now you have to create your application in such a way that it, you know, gracefully can recover from uh, connection loss between uh, databases and it can re like rely, uh, reliably um, react to fault um, like latency and faults and everything else in the cloud um, that can occur. So it's kind of an interesting idea that you know, as time goes on, our focus on things shift, right? And and as a result of that, uh, the responsibilities within an organization may shift around as well. Right. I mean, it, it sort of um, makes me think of 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 threat modeling, and it and it and it, it. I think the whole thing is attempting to change the approach because in security, like you, you sort of have um, a few different schools of thought, right? You have. Um, individuals that test and be like, this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. And they have no consideration of what your business product is or, or what hurdles you have to go over or what your customer base is. It's just that this is a high risk issue. And if you don't fix it, you're dumb, right? The, uh, you know, 1990s penetration tester viewpoint. Then you have folks on the other extreme that is like, you know, I have my goals to meet. Like your security stuff comes second to anything that I'm doing. I think we're like sort of knocking that down as the years go by. But um, and then you have some folks that are in the middle that are sort of weighing risk and what is the likelihood of this is going to happen and how is it you know how is it going to play out. But I think the danger there is that um, and I, I've fallen into this trap a couple of times is that you start to look for ways to accept risk because you're like, all right, well, I have this thing in place or this thing in place or this thing in place. And so the likelihood of this is going to uh, compensate for the priority. And I think that that can get very dangerous because you start to get into this mindset of not of how can I protect the organization, but how can I um, accept this risk based on what I've put in place today? And so your your lens starts to go more toward that business uh, aspect and 
you know, as a security professional, you're trying to stay as neutral as possible and, and incorporate as much of both sides as you possibly can. And I think where chaos engineering and zero trust and concepts like that come in is that you don't have to guess at what the likelihood it is, is uh, of what is going to happen. And you're looking for more of, if this does happen, we're protected because we have these processes in place that will recover from it, as opposed to, it's very unlikely that this is going to happen, so we don't have to worry about it. So it's it's more taking the the idea of let's worry about everything, right? Let's 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 like consider everything and determine how our systems are going to react um, to any threat that that you can throw at it. And uh, we had a pre-show with with uh, Simon like a couple of weeks ago. This is not an invitation to like come up with the most obscure scenario that you can possibly come up with. You know, that, you know, an alien flies in and takes out your entire data center, but that's also not off the table, right? I mean, we, we've, we've seen that um, the zombie apocalypse scenarios that were really fun in the news a while ago. I, I can't remember what, uh, was it a three-letter agency or something that did one it of these things? It was a three-letter agency, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was like, if the zombie apocalypse happens, um, you know, where do people go? How did, I don't know. I didn't. I can't remember what the exact thing is, but they considered that as a possibility, not because they felt like it was realistic, but it was that it offered a like awkward entry into something that could happen and how would you recover from that? And it's basically, how can I defend my systems from all of the unexpected things? So no idea is too crazy, but it's not like an invitation to come up with crazy ideas all the time. It's just like, you know, test yourself, you know, like find new ways to get your creative juices flowing and, and looking at, at this from different angles. Yeah, definitely. The zombie apocalypse thing is actually funny because um, it's in a certain cloud provider's terms of service as well. Like if the CDC declares a, um, like basically declares that an event has occurred that is like ruled a zombie apocalypse or something like to that effect, that they're not liable for anything that happens after that. And, I mean, I think yeah. it's fair, but just like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in... It's in one of the cloud providers' terms of service. I'll, I'll let folks find it on their own, but it's definitely one of those where you're like, they're, they're accounting for everything. They've, uh, yeah. they've thought it through. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it can be fun to do that stuff. And I think that any injection of fun into your day-to-day -day is great. And if it has, like, the side effect of making your organization or your systems more resilient, then all the better. So if you want to go run a zombie apocalypse scenario where like a zombie, you know, bit through all of our network cables in the data center because couldn't find a human, you know, like that's a fun thought experiment. So, you know, go for it and uh, see where that takes you. Um, and if you aren't able to recover from that, maybe you can be like, well, what's the likelihood that this is going to happen? Exactly. But just so you all don't think that that joke failed on Jameson. I saw him laughing on video. He was definitely muted. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mute myself because I have animals that like to make loud noises. Um, but yeah, no. Um, I mean, it, yeah, as, as I said, you know, like the game day stuff, I think it's it's an important thing. It, it can be like a big thing, a part of your tech culture. I know a lot of really big companies are doing them now. It's it's kind of trendy. Um, but yeah, it, it can be fun. And, and also, I, like, as I said, you know, the, the big benefit is really like you teach folks new things out of it, right? Like either, you know, you yourself, you could be like a seasoned vet that's seen tens of thousands of production issues um, and and still probably take take something away from that. Um, and then, you know, you could be complete greenhorn and still learn a whole lot of new stuff. So it really has that side effect of a, it's bringing folks together, but also it's, it's really helping them learn in a less, um, in a less stressful environment. And, and like, you know, the, the thing to keep in mind there too, is by doing that, like your, uh, time to resolution on incidents will probably re reduce as well. So it's like, if you need help selling it to management folks, like that's probably the easiest way is like, because everything, you know, always comes back to metrics. So like, if you're saying, you know, our MTR comes down as a result of us spending time working on this and we'll build a more resilient tech stack. Like, you know, those are kind of the big things that really um, like can, can sell this as a, as a practice. And, um, and then, you know, there's a lot of other 
things you could spend your time doing, right? Like as an engineering org, but I, I think chaos engineering is definitely one that is greatly beneficial, especially because similar to kind of what we're trying to do here, right? Is it brings folks together that are working on different disciplines and, and helps them kind of learn to talk to each other and, and learn um, the kind of common language of, of each other. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, man. I mean, I, I, the ideas just keep flowing in my head because I think we were talking about, um, I can't remember what episode it was, but just engagement and I, maybe it was training, but I talked about like a lock picking training and, and like bringing these things in and the game days thing comes up. And I mean, this can be something where you can, if you have uh, folks that are interested in putting this stuff together, events to get your organi your organization together or like to bring the cultures together. It's like create a game day around an incident that you might not think is happening. And it's like, you know, Halloween 2021 or October 2021, you go through uh, an exercise where you're assuming a zombie apocalypse happens. Every team contributes to what would happen. You all get together and you like go through an incident. And I think that mindset of sort of making these incidents fun means that when it happens for real or if something similar happens for real, that you're you're prepared for that kind of thing. And that that is is like is the way to bring, you know, people's love of technology and their work together with, you know, just a fun scenario. I mean, we had hack like um hackathons and stuff where we just like, oh, what do you think is gonna work for the company? You know, like go develop an application in 24 hours and no sleep and a bunch of alcohol um, and see what happens. And then out of that, you get like some of these great ideas, similar kind of thing, you know, um, out of out of that, you might get like, oh, man, we did not anticipate this would happen. Like maybe your great idea builds on the resiliency of your product. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's another really good call out. Maybe that's a future episode we do is on hackathons um, and like kind of what that looks like, because that, that's another one of those like bringing the organization together kind of events that I mean, it's pretty rare, right? Like in the day to day, like, yeah, you you interact with a lot of engineers, a lot of other folks, but um, it's just it's like th those kind of camaraderie type events uh, are kind of more impactful than that's just kind of day to day. Um, more like business interaction of just like, I need this from you. When do I get this? And, you know, yeah. that kind of like, this thing doesn't work. You know, like, these are my perspectives, right? These are the things that I see day to day. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, it's, it's really good. Um, and it's like, when they're at like that stress levels lower, right? I think people can have some more meaningful interactions. And that kind of helps to build that rapport so that when stuff does really go bad, um, you know, folks aren't, aren't hostile. Like, I mean, the other again, probably another episode, but like the whole uh, blameless culture thing, right? Where like, it's not anyone's specific fault for an incident, right? Like that's another big thing that I believe in. Um, maybe we talk about that another time, but it's like, I think that that's really the, there's a lot of these things to kind of help um, create a less hostile tech culture between these different departments or different groups. And, um, you know, like the more you can do to help facilitate that to like, organically as opposed to like being like hey don't blame other people right like you know that's never gonna work right so right. it's really about like everything right it comes back to relationships and how people kind of treat each other right and it's it's like these type of things like hackathons and all that and, and game days help to facilitate that and really build, not, not only that but also just build trust between other people right and, and you know i i i miss the hackathons man i feel like it's been a year you know, with this, uh, with COVID and lockdowns and things. And I just, I, I miss that, you know, 24 hour type of, um, you know, get together with your coworkers and build some new relationships kind of thing for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. and, 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 you know, you, you talk to a lot of good points, blameless culture, all that stuff that, that you're bringing up. We, we've said it before, you know, you haven't, you haven't really made a career unless you've taken down production at least once, right? Yeah. And so this allows chaos engineering at its core allows you to take down production in a controlled environment, right? Yeah, and I, I, I go back to my my favorite interview questions I ask ops folks is you know, when was your last production incident, and what's the first thing you did, right? And like those, <laughs> That's a good that one, answer, man. yeah, I'm not gonna give my answer because in case anyone I interview in the future uh here's this i don't want them i don't want to taint their response but 
um, what the first thing you do in a production incident will tell you a lot about somebody. And, yeah. and it also, it'll tell you how many, how many times they've done it. How many so. times have you, uh, have you gotten the answer? I, I cried first and then I, I would say the most common answer is I don't know, which again is like um, it tells you a lot. Um, but I think if you if you've seen a lot of stuff, like you've broken production, you've responded to production being broken. Um, you, you have a pretty like you have your like you have what you you do right, and um, and and like it doesn't have to be an elegant answer. It's like yeah, you first like you know first thing you I I don't I'm not going to answer this because I don't want to. Don't you don't want to like clue in people that are interviewing with you. Yeah, right? I don't want to give away the secret sauce. So, yeah, yeah. I would. I mean, I'm. I, that's an interesting one. I'd be like, who's on my team? You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, uh, you know, I just there. My head goes into so many different directions with that. I've handled uh, production incidents on a variety of <laughs> fields, depending on what organization you're in. That that answer can change. So. Yeah. I mean, I've, um, I've done everything from tiny little companies to large uh, multinational corporations. So, like, and my yeah. answer doesn't change. I will say based on the org, but yeah, it's um, the the pressure does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I th- I think that's the case. No, um, no, good question. So, we talked a little bit about doing like an interview. You know, what would you do in a uh, a DevSecOps interview type of question? This might be something we can bring up there. Is like, you know. Um, how to maybe not how to answer these questions, but how to think about these questions, how to prepare for these questions, you know, with your own perspective. If you're interested in hearing about something like that, listeners, uh, let us know. Um, we'll we'll queue it up a little bit earlier, um, and maybe after chaos engineering, if that's something you want to listen to. So I, I I mean I think we're getting a bit long in the tooth in this episode, but um, man, my my gears are working for this one, so um, I think it's. If it's valuable to no one else, <laughs> then it's definitely uh, working for me. So uh, I appreciate your insight uh, on bringing this topic to the table. So um, thanks for that. Any like final words you want to talk about on chaos engineering or like things that just have like bubbled up through this conversation? I mean, there's, there's many things, but I guess like just to kind of put a bow on it, I would say the, the way to think about chaos engineering is not just like, just deliberately breaking things for the sake of breaking things, despite the word in there being chaos. Like it's, it's a very deliberate thing. Like it is like very much following the scientific method. So like, and I think that's as an industry, I think that that's kind of a um, education point that we need to really facilitate more because I think when management folks hear chaos engineering, they just hear chaos. They don't hear, they, they miss the engineering part. Um, and so like that, that would be my closing thought on this, at least for this episode is like, just, you know, when you can educate people on this and really get them to understand that this is a very deliberate thing and it's very useful and very powerful if done right. Exactly. Um, and you know, my, my perspective on it is, is pretty similar is that it's not just a reason to, you know, go to town and figure out like what's going to cause the most chaos in your organization. It's really like, where can we, where can we go? Right. Um, maybe using it as justification for your security issues or a way to introduce a thought experiment to something that you've been worried about for a long time. The other thing that I picked up from this is that you don't necessarily have to be a super mature organization to introduce the idea or the concept of chaos engineering to your organization. All you really need is a stable or um, maybe not even a mirror image, but a um, like, I don't know, Halloween costume version of your production environment. Right where it's like it's a caricature of it where you can introduce these concepts and take things down without remorse or to introduce things like give me root access to X for five days and let me see what I can what what things I can do and see who detects what or where we go. And that's very similar to the penetration test, um, like the collaborative penetration test engagement where you're like, look. I'm going to hire somebody to come in and and break everything. And I want you to go to town on my, my, my stuff. But while you're doing it, 
my blue team is going to flag things and I want you to tell me, am I catching everything? Am I doing this? Like th those are engagements that actually happen and that you can do and work with uh, organizations to help uh, figure out what are we missing? What do we have? Right. Um, and if you find a good pen test org, they'll be able to tell you like what commands they ran, how they ran them. And, and like that can be a very powerful thing. And, and that's where sort of chaos engineering goes for me. You don't have to be super mature, but it allows you to test things that you're, it allows you to test your expectations and that you, and you don't need like to go and do this in production. You can do it anywhere as long as there's some modicum of relationship between your testing environment and your production environment. And if you find out that, look, it's not how the production environment would react, fine, right? You had some fun along the way, you learned some things and it's still productive. So don't think that you need to go and you know, test chaos engineering in your prod environment and you can do it in a variety of stages. That's sort of where, uh, you know, I, what I want to leave this with is um, take the concept, read the books, um, you know, go through that process and that, that mentality and use it as sort of an icebreaker to the, the hardship conversation of that's very unlikely to happen. Yeah. Well said. No, I agree with everything you said there. And that's probably a good plug for the Chaos Engineering book, uh, Casey Rosenthal. Uh, it's on O'Reilly. Check it out. Some really good stuff in there. What was it? It was uh, Casey Rosenthal? Yep, Casey Rosenthal. Cool. And it's by O'Reilly. I'll see if I can put that in the show notes. Um, they for just sure. updated it this year. So uh, I actually haven't read the new version. Uh, so looking forward to that. All right. Cool. Yeah. So we'll, we'll link that in the show notes. Just, I mean, no sponsorship here. We're not sponsored by anybody, but uh, I know Jameson read it. I haven't read it yet. Um, so I'll, I'll pick it up and, and check it out. Um, all the reading is good. I, I've got to get through Girl Decoded first on Effectiva. Uh, also not sponsored, but that's, that's my current book of the week. Um, so Anyway, look, I mean, we've talked about chaos engineering. We've talked about zero trust. We've talked about all these things that you can do to sort of um, help with your DevSecOps culture and bring people together, game days and tabletop exercises and trying to exercise these thoughts that you have uh, that, that might be met with adversity or that's not going to happen or X, Y, and Z. These are fun ways to break that ice, break through that barrier and, uh, and, uh, and get your concerns heard. Any final words, Jameson, on your side? No, no. I think this, uh, this is good, and we'll, we'll maybe we'll dig more into chaos engineering next time and pull it, uh, pull it more towards the security side. Cool. All right. Well, look. Thank you for everyone for listening. Uh, I had a lot of fun thinking through this episode and uh, and getting ready for it. I'm, we're we're super happy to be back and recording. I know we had a bit of a delay, but uh, hopefully uh, this one has made up for it. Uh, we're we're going to try to do two uh, another episode, maybe two more episodes on chaos engineering once we get Simon back to see what his take is on everything. Uh, we'll force him to listen to our voices on this one just so he's uh, ready to rock and roll on uh, on uh, episode what would it be nine or eighteen or nineteen. Um, but yeah, if you are liking what you're hearing, please uh, give us a review, send some comments in, send us an email. Uh, tweet us, whatever you want to do. Uh, we want to talk about what you want to hear and, uh, and address those issues uh, on the air. So uh, thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>